Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Sarah Hechtman. Sarah is actually another lawyer at the Miller Law Group. And we're here to talk to you today about process choice and what each of them looks like when you're considering or going through a divorce. Welcome, Sarah. It's really fun to have you here today. It's great to be here. And be part of the show. So, you know, what does that mean, process choice? It sounds so academic, but something that we talk about in the office all the time and we talk about with our clients is just choosing a how. How are you going to make a decision and how are you going to make the decisions that need to be made while you're divorcing as part of that process? And given that 97% of divorces in New York settle before a judge makes a decision after a trial, the question is really how are you going to make the decisions as to what the outcome of your divorce negotiation is. And Sarah, maybe you could give our guests a sort of outline of what those choices are. Right. So I think it's an important point that most divorces, even those that are quote unquote litigated and go to court, end up being decided outside of court. So that what that means practically is that people who are divorcing end up somehow reaching those decisions on their own without somebody else telling them what those decisions are going to be. So the process choice is how, what process you're going to use in order to get to those ultimate decisions that have to be made. So, you know, just to interrupt you for one second, but a, a client of ours once said to me, you know, once you realize that you are going to settle, then it's not a matter of whether or not you're going to settle, it's how you're going to settle. And then you have to think, and that's really what we're talking about. How are you going to settle? Are you going to settle in a litigation in the sort of courtroom setting, you know, with court appearances. Well, tell them more about right, that. Right. I think that's right. So it is, it's a how question. So so there are certain things that need to be decided, you know, the obvious along with the not so obvious, but obviously where your children, if you have children going to live and how are they going to see both of you and how are you going to divide your money and your who's going to live in the house or if you're going to sell the house, how are you going to divide the proceeds? All of those things must be decided. So then the question is, you know, do you each want to hire high-priced lawyers and fight a lot and and talk about what the law says about what you're entitled to or what your rights are? Or do you want to sit down and handle it some other kind of a way? And so there's a spectrum of choices, as you well know. And I guess on the on the extreme end of the the litigated choice is to hire those lawyers and to battle it out and make legal arguments and maybe make court appearances and have a judge or a, a judge's assistant sort of weigh in on what they think the law says. But I think we both believe that there are better processes that one can engage in to make those decisions. You know, in all of these processes, obviously, you need professional assistance. You need somebody who does understand what the law says and what you're entitled to helping you out. But you also need someone who is going to honor your feelings and even maybe your spouse or soon to be ex-spouse's feelings about how these decisions are made and what's going to work for you guys. So on the opposite end from the litigation 
is a mediation. And that's where one neutral person, you or me sometimes, <laughs> sits down with a couple and talks through what the issues are and sort of, and we know very well what the list of decisions to be made are, generally speaking. And then that, of course, is informed by everybody's individual circumstances and the decisions that they feel they need to make for their own lives. It, within that process, you know, it's two people. It's a neutral mediator who's trained at mediating these sorts of disputes and also has substantial knowledge about what the law in this area is, helps the parties to come to resolution. Often those parties have other help. So they have their own lawyers maybe outside of the mediation room or maybe a therapist who's helping them figure out what to do with their kids or maybe a financial expert who's helping them decide what to do with their assets. But the idea is that they're in control of making those decisions together with the assistance of this third party. And I think that it's interesting to note, first of all, there are a number of people who get divorced without having representation at all. And in some states, that's a very high number. I don't actually know what the statistics are for New York, but there are a number of people, many, many people who get divorced without any professional assistance at all, or only with some guidance from the court. There are complicated issues, the issues around time sharing and decision making, then it can be very hard, you know, to make those decisions on your own, you know, this sort of kitchen table idea, oh, you know, I'm just going to sit down with my soon to be ex spouse and figure this out ourselves is very hard if you've been married for more than a couple of years, if you're talking about more than a couple of dollars and kids are involved, you know, lots of people come in and they'll go, yeah, you know, I got divorced early on my life, you know, and we just figured it out ourselves. This seems really different. So I just want to acknowledge that people do do that. That is an important, I think it is important to acknowledge that because the cases we see in the office are the ones where they haven't been able to work it out over the kitchen table. So I don't even think about those. But of course, if, you know, 23 years old and you've been married for six months and you decide that you want to call it quits, there's probably not a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's easy. You just go your separate ways and file the papers. And in mediation, even, uh, you know, Sarah, you're talking about a model really where the mediator, one neutral, works in the room with the parties, right? And so it's a series of three way meetings where if there's support of the, you know, if each per person has their own attorney, which they should, because this is a, these are important legal decisions that they're making, but that those lawyers don't often come into the room. But there are models of mediation. It's five-way meetings where you have each person brings their own attorney and the mediator's there. And it's the same idea that the mediator helps the parties and with or without their attorneys identify the issues that they need to resolve gather the information that they need in order to resolve issues. And that's outside information, you know, about what's in their bank accounts and what's their house worth and what's their mortgage and, you know, what does it cost to live their lives, but also internal information about what's really important to each of them and how are they really seeing the problem and then helps the parties with or without their attorneys generate options and compare the options against their facts, you know, their figures and what's important to them and work through to a resolution. Right. And I, and I think that's the value that a mediator adds that even if, I mean, it probably sounds crazy to somebody listening to this, that there might be a husband and a wife, each of them with an attorney sitting in a room with an additional professional. But I, I think that the value that's added is that there are a lot of lawyers who, when they look at somebody's situation, they're not thinking about the whole picture. They're thinking strictly about the legal issue presented, you know, the issue of you know, what the weekly schedule should be for the kids or how to divide a particular account. And the value that's added by having a third party, whether or not there are lawyers in the room, is in 
sort of the view, the view from up high or from out in the distance to sort of see the whole picture and, and try to identify where both people are coming from and assist them in coming up with possibly, you know, creative solutions that a straight down the down the middle, plain vanilla lawyer might not have come up with for well, them. Well, it's also, it's interesting because the, the mediator is neutral. And I think that if you just have two, you know, two people arguing and each set is, you know, a set of each, of two on each side, right? Putting air quotes around that. And there is no neutral, then there's no one there to sort of bridge the gap. And one of the things that I've discovered in, in decades and decades of doing this work is that arguing doesn't work. But as a general rule, as human beings, we tend to go to arguing. Certainly spouses who are on the verge of, of divorce are pretty familiar with what their argument sounds like. And the lawyers often just kind of fall into that. So then there's just arguing that goes back and forth. No, I should be right. No, I should be right. You know, five bucks, 10 bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks, you know, as opposed to sort of trying to get a different paradigm and each set, each side saying, you know, we are agreeing that this neutral person is going to help us make the resolution. It's magical, actually. It really makes a huge difference to have that third person, third professional in the room, even though it might seem, you know, like, why the heck are we just paying, you know, hundreds of dollars more an hour to add another person just to kind of see us fight? Yeah. And I think that just to even expand on that a little bit, I mean, the way lawyers negotiate, and I think most people are familiar with this, is, you know, if you're fighting over $100, you know, and I start off by saying, well, we get, you get 25 and we get 75. And then the counter is obviously going to be, no, you know, we get the 75 and you get the 25. But the, the idea behind having a third party there is to get away from that kind of black and white, exactly. zero sum game, you know, whatever you want to call it, but that kind of classic negotiation and to look a little bit deeper than, you know, just how things get divided up and think more creatively, which I do think happens. I mean, it's hard for me to come up with a concrete example. Well, I'm going to give you a minute and remind our listeners that you're listening to Dialogue on Divorce on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com. And we're also available and maybe you're listening to the podcast on westchesterfamilylaw.com, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com or on iTunes or SoundCloud. I'm Catherine Miller. And I'm talking today with Sarah Hachtman. She's another lawyer at the Miller Law Group. And we're talking about process choices. Right now, we're talking about how mediation works and why it's different than just the traditional kind of bargaining across the table with lawyers present when they're there in the room. Sarah, you know, let's move on from mediation, though. We talked a little bit about litigation. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about collaborative law and what it is and how it helps people resolve conflict? in the divorce setting. So collaborative law, like a mediation model, is a, a model that's premised on the idea that, that no one is going to go running into court and making uh, legal arguments and running up court costs as a consequence. So what that means is that, the, that each party is represented in a collaborative process by a lawyer who is specially trained in collaborative law, which ordinarily includes also being trained as a mediator. And those lawyers, as well as the parties, agree up front that they will not litigate. So they've agreed to participate in this process, which basically means that they're trapped in this process until they can come up with an agreement. And the benefit to to being formal about that agreement not to litigate is that it means that there's a cost attached to sort of getting up and, you know, pounding your fist on the table and saying, well, if we can't agree on this, I'm just going to sue you for that money or for custody of our kids or whatever it is. Um, and that just means that everyone is really in it. They're really in the process. So they got to they gotta sit there and, and sit with the conflict and work through it. 
And in the collaborative process, again, I would say that there's often, there are often complicated cases that do need the assistance of outside professionals like divorce coaches and child therapists and financial experts. And probably the listeners are not familiar with what a divorce coach is, but that's usually a mental health professional that helps people, trying to think how I could synopsize that, helps them to get past the conflicts that obviously have driven them to be where they are and to see the issues for that are up for resolution a little bit more clearly without that sort of cloud of anger or resentment or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I mean, the way I think way. of it is, I mean, I think the idea of coaching, I mean, over the years that collaborative has been in existence, I think the idea of coaching, like life coaching or business coaching, it has become a lot more common and a lot more ubiquitous. You know, people get coached for things other than, you know, basketball or soccer. And, and I think the idea is really to be able to be coached, to bring your best self to the negotiations rather to sort of then be stuck on things that might not in the long run, you know, matter or are really to talk about things that are hard to talk about in order to get the best possible result. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense to me. Yes. Yes. Like a life coach before your divorce. Yeah, exactly. And I also think that, you know, you use the word trapped in that collaborative process because uh, the people agree that they're going to decide here and they're not going to give themselves the opportunity to threaten or try to get somebody else to decide. But let's go back to our statistics. 97% of cases settle before a judge hands down a decision after a trial. So maybe you get some guidance from an outside you know, judge or court, but likely, overwhelmingly likely, you're saying, let's be real. Let's acknowledge the the situation as it is, and that's what we're going to decide. So let's decide here in a conference room, here with the support of our lawyers, here with the support of our coaches, our financial neutrals, our child specialists, or whatever, to find a resolution that makes sense for our family, rather than saying, you know, we're going to go to somebody else, and somebody else is going to tell us what the right answer is. I think a lot of people, I mean, they have some notion that if they can get in front of that that judge be in a courtroom, tell their story somehow that somebody else will come up with the right answer and they'll be vindicated. And that's largely because most people are not experienced at going through a long divorce because I think it's safe to say that most people do it once, maybe twice <laughs> in a lifetime, but not more than that. And so there's a misunderstanding that somehow, if only you know some wise, older person wearing judicial robes were to hear the story, they would see your perspective and say, aha, and you would get everything that you want. And of course, that's not how it works in reality. And there's always two sides to every story. I mean, you know, one of the things that I learned really early in my practice is that the courtroom is a very bad place to find out that the other side has a good point. You definitely, you know, as a lawyer, don't want to find out that the other side tells you something that you didn't know in front of the court. And that has happened to me you know, more than once. And, you know, because my own client didn't tell the truth about that or, you know, reveal it. And I didn't like an idiot think to ask. I mean, that was, you know, a long, long time ago. But I also think that, you know, there's something called attribution error. And attribution error, you know, essentially says, I'm paraphrasing, and I apologize for that, that I judge myself, we all judge ourselves based on our own intention. You know what, maybe I hurt you, but I was hurt first, or, you know, I had a good reason, you know, and so I'm still a good person, even though I hurt you. But if you hurt me, I judge you based on the impact of your action upon me. So 
if you hurt me, you are a bad person because you must have intended to hurt me, right? So we get into this thing like, you're bad because you hurt me, you're bad because you hurt me, but I'm good. And it really makes it impossible to communicate. You know, when you get into a courtroom, a judge is only going to hear the facts, right? And they're not going to care that much about intent at all. Is that right? I think for the most part, and I think when you say like you, you know, you, you got surprised in court by something your client hadn't told you, I think sometimes it's not that they hadn't told you, even if you had asked, they wouldn't have told you because they don't even know. So for instance, you know, in a disputed custody matter where your client, the only parent that you're hearing from in that model, thinks that he or she is the better or the more fit parent and that the other parent is whatever, whatever it is, you know, it's complicated. If it's not child abuse, if it's not that the other parent is abusing or neglecting the child, if it's subtle, it's the, the mother is imposing her own eating disorder on the daughter or the father is forcing his sons to play sports because, you know, he played those sports and it's essential. And even though he doesn't hear his child complaining that it's the wrong thing to do for him, these are all critical parenting decisions and critical to a child's development. But in a courtroom, no judge cares about that kind of subtlety. So it's not, so I think I'm saying two things here. I'm saying, number one, I think as a lawyer, your client may not tell you because they don't even see it. They don't even know what they're doing that makes them somehow subpar or less than ideal. And the other thing is that a courtroom, I mean, it's a little like, I don't know, using a sledgehammer instead of a scalpel to do surgery, because really all there is time and energy and, and resources to look for is really bad stuff. You know, either parent abusing or not feeding or not housing this child properly, kids not going to school. If that's all in place, then I'm not sure that a judge even really cares to hear about the the subtle stuff about what the kid's being fed or bedtime routines and that sort of stuff. So we're a little off the track of talking about collaborative law, but I think that the point is that no one's going to care more than the parties involved about their own situation. And the best way to address the issues that are of concern to the parties is to have the parties do it themselves, which of course is ultimately what ends up happening anyway. So this, you know, I'm going to take it to a judge or have my day in court is is a myth. No one really gets a day in court the way they think they're going to. And so if you're not going to get that opportunity, why not? Instead, use your time, your energy, and your money to craft some kind of a solution or a resolution, at least, to your issues, you know, that you have a real hand in crafting what that solution is. And that's what collaborative law enables. This is Dialogue on Divorce here on WBOX 1460 AM and uh, every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 and available anytime on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com or on iTunes or SoundCloud as a podcast. And I'm talking today with Sarah Hackman, an attorney at the Miller Law Group, about process choice and how to get divorced and, you know, what are the pros and cons of of the options that people have when making decisions, how they're going to get through divorce to a happier, hopefully, place on the other side. And, you know, I think, Sarah, there are times when litigation is the way to go. And there are some reasons why people should choose litigation. You know, typically people say there's there are issues of domestic violence or at least serious domestic violence that, that an alternative, what's called alternative dispute resolution process outside of the litigation system might not be appropriate. Although, you know, frankly, many people get very seriously injured even when they are in litigation, if there is violence as a risk and a potentiality and sometimes a reality 
you know, can you think of some other circumstances where litigation really makes the most sense for people? Well, I think if you've got an issue with a parent who really is unfit, I, I don't know, and they're not willing to address those issues or to, you know, they're not at all in touch with the fact that they may have those issues. And I don't know how you avoid it. If it's my child and there was a another parent who's claiming to have rights to that child and wants to be with that child alone, and I don't think that the child's safe, I don't know what choice you have. Well, I also think sometimes people need need what a colleague of ours calls the discipline of the court. And sometimes people won't move forward. And if you have one person who wants to move the decision-making process forward and one person who just refuses to do it, sometimes you need some outside influence to move the process along. And so both people get an opportunity to be heard, not just the person who refuses to to talk. I mean, that's probably true. Although, of course, as you and I both know, there are all kinds of ways to use the court system to prolong the agony of that kind of a dispute. And I think if, you know, even in that sort of a situation, if that person were made to understand that there has to be a resolution, ultimately can't go on forever, then maybe even in that situation, you could come to some kind of an agreement without having to resort to litigation. I mean, I, I, I think lawyers who practice in this area tend to agree that the cases that are the most hotly contested and contentiously litigated often involve mental illness on the part of either one or both parties. And that's a very sad thing to say that our court system is somehow like that's what it's, that's who it attracts. Because that's because, because ultimately, once a person who is rational becomes involved in that system, I think they come to quickly realize that it's not the best place. The only reward to litigating your matter, litigating it vociferously, is in making the other side suffer. Because you can do that. <laughs> that you can do yeah. very successfully. So I do think that, I don't, I don't think that's an unfair observation which I have shared with colleagues and who have shared the same, sort of the same observation with me. Well, it is interesting. I mean, because the cases that we use to guide ourselves right, in our interpretation of what the law is really is an application by courts of the statutes and prior cases to the facts that are presented at trial, right? That's the law of a case. And the cases that go all the way to trial, a very small percentage, right? We've already been talking about that, of the cases that are presented every year you know, then are used to, for us as lawyers, to evaluate the cases that are coming to us. And what you've just said is those cases attract, you know, the worst possible circumstances, the worst possible family situations oftentimes, right? And so it's sort of like, in some ways, kind of like the tail wagging the dog, like we're trying to make most people fit into a set of circumstances that are dictated by a very small percentage of people. And, and perhaps a percentage of people that we wouldn't want to represent ourselves as culture or our society in general. I think it's probably a very good point, which is why it's also hard to explain to clients sometimes that there are, you know, legal doctrines that they exist, but their application to their circumstances may not be what they'd like it to be. Do we have time for me to try to give a concrete example? Yeah. I mean it's maybe it's a little boring and hyper technical, but for instance, there's a a concept in the law called wasteful dissipation of assets, right? So if you're married and you're taking your your earnings, your marital assets, and you're dissipating them somehow on like gambling or drugs, and then the other spouse upon divorce is entitled theoretically to get claw that money back because it was spent 
long late outside the marriage. So, so how does that work? So I had a client once the case was tried. She had a claim that he was spending money on like ski trips with his girlfriend and stuff while they were still married. And the court basically dismissed it. Said like, that's insane. It wasn't that much money. He was, they were living separately. Right. So she got her hopes up based on this doctrine. And then, of course, she was shot down. And just today I was doing some research and I found a case where wasteful dissipation was found. The husband had another family for 12 years and he was spending basically half of his earnings on that family and half on his current family. So when he was divorced from his 26 year marriage with that wife, the court found that, yeah, she could claw some of that money back. But I mean, that is not the ordinary circumstance. Yeah. So, Sarah Heckman, it's been really a pleasure to have you as a guest on Dialogue on Divorce and uh, to talk with you about the process choices that people have when they're considering divorce. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. 